0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. And let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8. And we're going to go through the first 25 verses. And the title of the message is, Rejoice (laughs) in Tribulations. So this is kind of, you know, the opposite of what you would think Uh, when tribulation comes. You want to groan, you want to complain, you want to cry out, you want to get mad. But for believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to see in the early church what was happening to them, what was happening through them, and they were in a severe trial. Obviously, we're in the beginnings of the church. It has only literally been... Uh, months since uh, Jesus himself has been tried by the Sanhedrin he has been executed he has been crucified and buried but then gloriously on the third day he is risen from the dead Peter and John then you know the Holy Spirit is poured out Peter preaches three thousand get saved Peter and John are going into the temple a lame man is there at the hour of prayer And he's saying alms, alms for the poor, and Peter says, look on us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Give I thee in the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then Peter reached down to the lame man, grabbed him by the arm, lifted him to his feet. The Bible says while he was being picked up to his feet by Peter, The Holy Spirit went into his legs and into his feet, and into his ankle bones and muscles and ligaments, and he was supernaturally healed. This man, this is on the Solomon's, you know, porch. And he is walking and leaping and praising God. Another huge crowd starts running because they all knew the lame guy that was there, you know, whenever they would come through the Eastern Gate. And Peter sees the crowd, takes advantage again of the crowd and begins preaching. And an additional 2,000 are now saved. So the church has at least 5,000, and it's literally growing by leaps and bounds. Well, they, you know, the, the Sanhedrin, they grab Peter and John, they beat them up. We told you, don't preach in Jesus' name. And they put them in prison. An angel comes, opens the prison door, lets them out. So the next morning the Sanhedrin is like, "Okay, bring the guys that we arrested and have them come and they go, "Well, they're not, they're out preaching on some." What? We What did you guys do? Well, we put them in prison, but something happened and they're out they're preaching in the name of Jesus again. Amen. So then there's a young man named Stephen. We talked about Stephen last week. Uh, he gets arrested and, and he's doing signs and wonders and he's preaching in the name of Jesus and they stone him. So we looked at that last week. Now we continue in, in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Interestingly, it, it begins by saying this. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Talking about Stephen, which we talked about last week in that story. Man, Stephen preached a fiery message. And we read that Saul was a Pharisee, and he held the coats of those who stoned this young man, Stephen. Stephen. So now Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time, listen, a great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the Apostles. So this is very interesting. So here's the first thing that I want to share with you tonight. We've got just five quick points we're going to go through. Number one, persecution does to the church what wind does to sea. It scatters it and only produces a greater harvest. Hello. Do you hear what I'm saying? Persecution does not put the church's flame out Persecution takes the embers of the fire of the Holy Spirit and scatters them. Literally, it's like the wind that takes seed and blows the seed beyond even now Jerusalem to Samaria and Judea and on to the uttermost parts of the earth. So think about this. The Sanhedrin had silenced one voice, this young man, Stephen, that was shaking the city of Jerusalem. They did not realize that by stoning Stephen, they were awakening a much bigger, louder, growing, multiplying voice that would now shake not only Jerusalem, but would begin shaking the whole world. The early church seemed, up to the moment of Stephen's death, to be content just sharing the gospel in Jerusalem, to stay witnessing in Jerusalem, but not anymore. God is literally allowing the persecution so that the salt has to leave the salt shaker, which is Jerusalem. It now needs to spread to Judea and then to Samaria, even as Jesus said. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, you remember that Jesus had said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, now it's happening. Now it's literally the plan of God is unfolding exactly like Jesus said. But the Lord is doing it in a way that no one had anticipated. They thought that this would, oh, this will make everyone afraid, everyone will close their mouths, everyone will hide, and it it will just phase away. It will die out. In fact, the opposite is happening. The word scattered, That is used here in verse 1. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. It is the word that is used for sowing seed. And so this is beautiful. I I love this because now they're rejoicing because God's will is being actually done. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, because... We're all, we live in a world full of, it seems like, increasing tribulations. And what is the church's response? How are we to live in such a time as this? And we are to do one thing. Here's the word of the Lord to you and to me. I don't care what your life looks like. I don't care what's going on. It is to rejoice. Everybody say the word rejoice. Rejoice. Now say it like you mean it. Rejoice. Paul said rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Paul wrote that verse, it's in the little tiny New Testament book called Philippians, and Paul the Apostle was in jail. And while he was in jail, he said, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. And the joy of the Lord came in him, even though he was being beaten up and even though he was in prison, And at midnight, him and Silas are singing because they're filled with the joy of the Lord. An earthquake comes, breaks open the prison doors. Paul goes out and preaches the gospel. Now, we're not to that Paul yet. We're now to Saul of Tarsus. He's the one that is bringing persecution. But let's read Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, and let's read it out loud together. Not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance character and character hope so follow the progression we're to rejoice so you know you say well I don't feel like rejoicing it doesn't necessarily rejoicing doesn't necessarily begin with feelings because it doesn't feel good to be persecuted it does not feel good to be going through tribulations but it's an act of faith Lord I rejoice in you. I rejoice in your name. I rejoice in your character. I rejoice that you're on the throne. I rejoice that you work all things together for good. I rejoice that you're in charge no matter what is coming, that you have all things and you're holding all things in your hand. I rejoice that my sins are forgiven. I rejoice that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I rejoice that I've been given salvation and I've been saved from eternal separation from you. I rejoice that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, amen? You choose to rejoice. Now, God is gonna use tribulations. He says knowing, so why do we rejoice? Here's a little path of figuring out kind of spiritual thinking, which is backwards thinking to our natural way of thinking. Rejoice knowing that suffering produces endurance. Yes, it does. Hear the word of the Lord. One of the strategies of the enemy is for you is to wear you out. To throw in the towel. I have been following the Lord, I've been trying to do the right thing, and it's just worn me out. I don't know if this is right or not. I don't know if this works or not. And he wants you to throw the towel of your faith and trust in. But here's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants for you to say, you know what, it's miserable right now. Things are against me. Uh, The winds are headwinds. But I still trust, even though I can't see it, even though I don't feel it, Lord... I rejoice in you. And all of a sudden, something gets... You resist against your natural instincts and an endurance begins to arise within you. An endurance that is a spiritual character of a son or daughter of God. Endurance. And then endurance begins to develop your character. When you begin to have the character of Christ... The character of the spirit and of the fruit of the spirit that is not based on what's happening around you. Which, listen, that's what the world does. That's right. When everything out here is good, then I can have character. When everything out here is contrary, then I dive into a little hole. That's not character. That is the opposite of character. That's then where you become flipped around by every wind that blows. You're up, you're down, you're in, you're out. No, character in Christ is, I don't care what is happening out here around me because I have have something inside of me that cannot be taken away. I have the Spirit of Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the peace of God. I have the promises of God. And even when I don't see them being manifest right now, I hold on to the word yes. of God. I hold on to the seed yes. of God, the promise of God. Yes. And I will wait until my circumstances bend their knee Hallelujah. to the divine word of God and the will of God. And then, so look, when that first time comes that you decide, okay, I'm not going to be a baby and just you know run into the corner and start screaming my head off. I'm gonna stand here. Right. I'm gonna be a little bit, you know, have stubborn faith. Right. I'm going to endure. Now all of a sudden, and then you have character. Yes. You have now, you have strength inside of you. And I'll tell you, there's, there's a mind shift that will go on in your life when you suddenly realize, I, my day is not good or bad, depending on what happens That's outside it. of me. That is it. My day begins with, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places, and there's nothing the enemy can do to rob me of the presence of the Lord, or the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah. You begin going through the day in that way. Now I want to give you a little sketch of Saul of Tarsus. He is the one we're talking about here. Now Saul was consenting to his, Stephen's, death. Saul was born in Tarsus, in Cilicia. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the son of a Pharisee. He was a Roman citizenship. He studied under a very famous Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. Saul, from an early age, was devoted to God. He loved God. He had religious zeal, and he became a well-respected Pharisee. And in fact, he displayed his loyalty in his own mind of how much he loved God the most and how much he loved the law of God by persecuting the church. And the reason was, he in his own internal mind was absolutely convinced that these guys were heretics, that Jesus was not the Messiah, and that they were off. And therefore, in Saul's mind, he felt completely justified in persecuting them and warning people against them, and going after them. How did he do it? It says he made havoc of the church. That is a word used to describe a wild animal devouring its prey. He was a zealous religious man persecuting genuine believers. He persecuted both men and women unto death. He entered houses to chase them or synagogues and he had believers imprisoned and beaten. And in later years Paul described himself as exceedingly mad against them, a blasphemer. He denounced Jesus as the Messiah. He was a persecutor and he says, "I was a violent man against those who were called themselves Christians." He was also a man of great authority whose devotion to the law controlled his life and almost destroyed it. But then later when he gets saved, he says, what I did, I did ignorantly in unbelief. And yet God showed Saul mercy and he saved him. And he is the last person anybody would have expected that God would choose to be the apostle to the Gentiles and to the whole world. And I want to say to you right now, with everything going on in our country, I have a word from the Lord that there is someone who is listening to this message. You may be listening live, you may be listening somewhere in the near future, but you're like a Saul, and you are in a position of influence, power, or authority. And you are very, very much against the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ or Christians for whatever reason that there may be. And I want you to know this, God loves you. God is going to have mercy upon you. God is gonna give you a supernatural divine revelation that will literally turn your world inside out, upside down, and you are going to be used in the future in order to, that God will use you to bless the very message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's going to save Saul's. He's going to save those, whether men or women, who are absolutely 180 degrees opposite of everything that we're talking about here in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. And they're gonna do an entirely new 180, and God's going to be used them. So listen. Be careful right now with not only the, the political stuff, the emotional stuff, the division that is there. And we pick enemies and you know, we judge them, we want to curse them. Hey, be careful. God saved Saul, God can save the Saul of our day and of our generation. It may be a member of your own family that it fights you and attacks you, and what's wrong with you for whatever reason. Pray for them. You never know when God will save a Saul and literally through that Saul save a whole batch of new people. Amen? Okay, well, now that's verse one. Let's go on. (laughs) Verses two and three. Persecution awakened a new voice. In verse two it says, And devout men carried Stephen to the burial so that right after he got stoned to death and they made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, and committing them to prison. What a contrast between those who were mourning Stephen and yet Saul wanting to literally destroy the church. I want to say that God used Saul's rage. Listen very carefully. There's a lot of anger right now, a lot of rage. And right now, because we're in this election season cycle, a lot of it is devoted to political Rage. God used Saul's rage to accomplish two things. Number one, he forced the church out of its comfort zone. He forced the church out of Jerusalem. And number two, he forced other members of the church, now that they were scattered, they had to leave their homes, or what was their comfort zone, and now they had to become absolutely dependent in an entirely new way on the gifts of the Holy Spirit because the gifts of the Holy Spirit now are they they have just been with Jesus and his inner disciples well now we read the Apostles stay in Jerusalem but the church is thrust out into Judea and then into Samaria and then throughout Rome and all as Paul begins to share the gospel and the church grows and grows and grows it's going to need not just 12 men it needs literally hundreds And then thousands of both men and women who are anointed by God, who depend upon the gifts of the Holy Spirit and will help the church continue to spread and the gospel to grow all the way around the world. Amen? Amen. So God is working the same in our day. He's using this time. And and we need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Okay, verses 4 through 8. This flows right into the next section. In this hour, God raised up lay preachers to spread the gospel. Verses four through eight, we read, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Let me read that again. Therefore, those who were scattered, read not the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else had to flee and had to go and had to leave. And those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed." And there was great joy to that city. So we were introduced, you remember that there were the apostles and then there's thousands of people, they're selling their farms and their homes and they're bringing all their money together and they're all kind of living together in this beautiful new community called the church. And the apostles were having to spend all their time, you know, handing out food and clothing and they said, wait a second, this isn't right. We need to be, go, you know, spending time in the Word and in prayer. So they raised up seven men full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, who had a good reputation. They said, look, you guys start ministering, handing out, taking care of the widows and food and clothing and all of that. One of those was Stephen. He just got martyred. Another of the seven was this young man, and his name is Philip. And God takes another man filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom and of good report and he uses him. Now listen, later we will find Philip living in Caesarea, a little uh, city on the coast of the Mediterranean in ancient Israel. And there, this is later in the book of Acts, he is called Philip the evangelist, not Philip the deacon passing out you know, needs and taking care of people, but he is known as an evangelist, not only is he an evangelist, but he's an evangelist who's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and miracles are happening, and he's not one of the 12 apostles. He is a lay preacher, a lay minister. He's one of the flock, and yet God is using him in an extraordinary way. Not only was he known as Philip the evangelist, But he discipled his family, he had four daughters, and the New Testament tells us all four of Philip's daughters were baptized with the Holy Spirit and they all had the gift of prophecy. Wow, how many, you know, would that be wild and a little dangerous to have all four daughters in your house with the gift of prophecy? The word of the Lord is, and the word of the Lord is, and they're going around, you know. Philip was an amazing guy. And later we will find that the Apostle Paul, after he gets saved, spent time with Philip in Caesarea at his house with his wife and his four daughters that were filled in the Holy Spirit. And I, and I had the gift of prophecy, and I think, wow! Because now in this story, so this is some years later, how amazing would it have been to have Paul, who was at the time Saul who stoned Stephen, and now you're with Philip, who just stepped out. All the things that they could have talked about. How many of you want to go to that house for that potluck, right? And hear that conversation. I can imagine Paul and Philip as they recounted their experiences, and Man, Paul, you were killing us, literally. And then, you know, him saying, yeah, but Stephen, I saw that young man, his face glowing like an angel. It pierced my heart and I I couldn't get his face out of my mind. And then walking on the road to Damascus, when I saw the light and I fell to the ground and the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I said, and I knew it was the Lord. I said, who is it, Lord? And he said, this is Yeshua of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. That burning zeal that he was chasing people literally outside the country of Israel, going up into Damascus, Syria, chasing Jews who believed in Jesus of Nazareth. And now he sees the glory of God, he hears the voice, he knows it's the Lord, and the voice tells him, I am the one you've been persecuting. And you, and now I have called you, and I'm going to send you to be an apostle around the world. Wow, what a beautiful thing. So Philip uh, preached the Messiah to them. So in Samaria, the Samaritans were looking for the Messiah. You remember Jesus, when he went to Samaria, there was a woman at the well And you remember what the woman of Samaria said to Jesus? Well, we know when the Messiah comes, he'll answer all of our questions. Samaritans believed in the Messiah. And Jesus said, he that speaks unto you is he. And then he told her about her life, and she ran and brought the whole village. So Jesus planted the seed in Samaria through the woman at the well. Now Philip comes, and he brings in this glorious harvest. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's look at verses 9 through 17, because these believers had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So beginning in verse 9, it says, but there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great.'" Power of God. So he had supernatural ability, though it was of another spirit. It was occult powers. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they, Samaritans, believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So notice, the people in Samaria heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead on the third day. And now receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, which they did. They responded to the gospel with faith, and then they were baptized. And look, you cannot be baptized in water unless you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So they were believers. But then the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. And that's a very, very different, there's another relationship. In fact, Jesus gave us three words that describe three relationships with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus told the disciples, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he shall be in you. So the Holy Spirit is with everybody. He's with all seven billion people. He's with them. And the Holy Spirit is wanting to convict them of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's with everybody, whether they go to church or not. But when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And only believers can get baptized. But though, right after Jesus rose from the dead, he breathed on the disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. But then he said, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but now tarry ye in Jerusalem, for the Holy Spirit shall, he didn't say come in you, he had already breathed on him and they received the Holy Spirit in them. But he said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, so this is another experience for those who are already saved, you shall be given power, dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite from and the English word dynamic, there will be power that will come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's an additional relationship where the Holy Spirit comes about, So they were believers, they got baptized, but they had not had the Holy Spirit come upon them. It is one thing to have the Holy Spirit within you, doing the work of sanctification, conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. It is another thing to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and with power and dynamic and then with signs and miracles and various gifts of the Spirit. So look with me at John chapter seven, verses 37 and 38, because Jesus talked about this. Let's read this out loud together. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I love that. So for those of you that are, okay, I'm saved, I believe in Christ. where's the Holy Spirit he's in you you're saved he's in you and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life but if you have not heard or did not know that there is a another uh, experience relationship with the Holy Spirit where he comes upon you and by the way when he comes upon you it, it, it you can it can happen again and again and again I just want to encourage you that this is something that is available to every child of God so let's look at verses 17 through 24 And here's the beautiful thing, because this this gift, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is free. So verses 17 uh, through 24, or actually verse 18, it says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money? You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, if God perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. And so when they testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So I just want to say this. So here's Simon, he hears the gospel, he becomes a believer now. But then when Peter and John come and they pray for the Samaritans and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit and he sees the power of that, Simon says, Ooh, I would like some of that power. And he was into the magic arts. And I just want to say it's a common practice among especially magicians to sell their secrets of the magics for a price. I want to be able to do that because originally before they came uh, with the gospel, he was the guy everybody looked up to because he had signs and wonders, but it was occultic powers and they have their limits, even though the supernatural can flow through them. And now when the gospel comes, the power of the gospel, the response of the people, this is who we've been waiting for, Jesus, the Messiah. And now when they come, the apostles, and they pray for them as they've been believers, as they've already been baptized, and now the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Simon saw what happened when the power came upon them, and he said, I want some of that. And I I don't want to buy it. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what happened there, but something must have happened. It wasn't just that he goes, okay, now the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and then nothing happened, and then they walked away. Something dynamic happened. There was an evidence of it in some way. As my pastor Chuck Smith used to say, he goes, either they began to speak in tongues in in a very passionate way, and then they might have also given interpretation of that, or they might have began to prophesy, because later on in the book of Acts, chapter 19, we're going to find out that in Ephesus, the same thing happens where the Holy Spirit comes upon a group of people and they begin speaking with other tongues and then they begin prophesying, and this tremendous manifestation of the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit comes. Something like that must have happened for Simon to say, I want to be the guy to do that and I'll give you money for it. He was jealous. And he was obviously, if he was a believer, he was a brand new believer. And he thought that you could buy into some kind of a position within the church. And Peter recognizes it immediately. And with that discernment, that double-edged sword, he says, you are bitter. Your heart is not right. You want to be looked up to and powerful rather than glorifying the Lord who saved you. He says, you better repent or judgment is coming. And immediately, Simon was like, no, 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 no. Because he believed in in retribution and payments within even his side of the spirit world, let alone now the holy God. So I'm glad that he said that. I hope that he did truly repent. But what it does show to us is that there is power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He will give you signs and he will give you uh, wonders that will happen to people. Uh, and, and God is doing such an amazing thing. He, even here within Maranatha, I heard, you know how we've been praying at communion and praying for people? And this is the coolest thing. There was, because, you know, it's not just pastors and ministers and the professionals, as some people like to think of it, but there was a grandmother who got encouraged by just seeing what we were doing and, and she prayed. In the name of Jesus, and God brought a supernatural healing within her family. Grandma. Can I hear an amen for grandma? God will use whomever, and he will anoint you, and he will bless you, and he will give you that capacity so that you can have the fullness. And then, as Jesus described, it becomes like a river that rises up within you and overflows your life. And that gives you the strength to